This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Showtime, folks. It's episode 54 of Game On here on the Empty Bench Podcast Network. I'm Johnny Montabano. That's Hank and Dictor. Hank, good to see you. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Johnny. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm not going to lie. I'm not 100% here today, but, you know, I feel like I'm right now in game three of whatever round you want to say in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I'm right now like in the middle of a five-minute shift, so, uh, but, but you know what, I'm toughing it out, I'm here, uh, I'm ready to put a great episode with you, uh, we got a lot to discuss, it's going to be a big week for me here also on the Instagram Podcast Network, but yeah, no, I've just been extremely busy, and I think it's finally starting to catch up with me, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm here, we're going to tough it out, we're going to get through this together, but Hank, it's good to see you. I know you had a nice weekend up in Boston, uh, actually at Fenway Park, so we have some time. Maybe we'll dive into that, but uh, good to see you, and we got a lot to discuss, as we usually do here now in the middle of May, as we get as we take one step closer to the NBA Finals, to the Stanley Cup Finals, and so much more. And of course, folks, we want to hear from you as well. Plenty of ways to get aboard. You know, First and foremost, you can follow us on our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at GameOnETB, at Instagram, we're at GameOn underscore ETB our personal handles on the bottom of your screen there. And of course, right below our name and you can right there as well. Follow, uh, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ETB network, where if you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And as always have your notification set. So, you know, when all of our programming is going to be coming out and of course, check out our website, etbpodcasts.com, where you can see some great content from Hank, from Jennifer Kate uh, and uh, so much more. And you can also check us out on our audio-only platforms at Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Where So if you want the audio versions of the show, you can get that as well. So, Hank, as I said, we have a lot to get to. You know, we're going to get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, which are, ta- which are just about to hit the conference finals there. Uh, we've got a very interesting story also that I think might get Hank a little riled up. So stay tuned on that in terms of the NHL. Don't even get me started. And I'm already yeah, up. Absolutely. You know, before we started, uh, you're going to already – Feel Hank's uh, blood boiling, so stay tuned for that. And, is the, and it does not have to do with the New York Rangers, so so stay tuned for that. We're also going to get into the NFL as the schedule was released last week. There's a ton of highlights to get over with that. And I got to tell you, folks, I know it's only the middle of May, but I'm getting very, very excited for August and September. Sorry to all my fellow school teacher friends and, and staff. Um, I know that I'm kind of trying to rush the summer away, but we'll get through it. Uh, and if we have time at the end, we'll get into a little baseball. Speaking of international games, you know, the NFL's got their international schedule. Baseball has uh, their uh, international, uh, possibly more international games coming up. And back to the NFL, we do have the commander story to talk about as well. But, Hank, we got to tip things off here with the NBA because we started out uh, two rounds ago with 16 teams. We are now down to the final four. And it'll be Nug- Nuggets and Lakers out west. South- Celtics and Heat. Unfortunately for me, for me as a Knicks fan, yes, it is the Miami Heat. I'm um, still a little bumped, but not at this point. We'll get to that in the Eastern Conference Finals. But let's start out west with the game that's about to tip off 
on Tuesday night between the Nuggets and the Lakers. And Hank, when we look at this series, you know, really when I when I look at this series, this is what I'm 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 thinking about. Can Nikola Jokic continue to do it all for Denver? Can Jamal Murray step up to what he was like, especially back in the bubble, which by the way, this these two matchups are a rematch of the 2020 bubble season. So we can finally put that notion I, away. Oh my gosh, Johnny, I was just about to say you took the words right out of my mouth. You're trying to oh, steal I'm sorry, me. Trying to yes, steal my fun fact under here, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So when I look at this series, to me, do we is it, it's Nikola Jokic versus Anthony Davis? And the other thing too is, and we'll dive into this a lot more. Le, LeBron always, you know, when you're talking about the Lakers, you're always talking about LeBron. You know, his stamina. I mean, it looks like the Lakers have been rejuvenized in these playoffs, and that's something that I thought about. Could they could get one more run in them? But can he continue to do it against this Nuggets squad? Squad. So, what do you think about the, this uh, first matchup out west as we get the conference finals on the way? Well, let me give you another angle about the series that I feel like isn't necessarily talked about as much. But right now, it seems to me like Nikola Jokic is the uh, last man standing. And what exactly do I mean by that? Well, let's uh, let me put it this way: Giannis gone in the first round, unex- completely unexpected. And then you have um, you have Joel Embiid, and we will talk about that series. And boy, hey, what a choke mm. job that 76ers. He's gone too. So now, as far as like the legit MVP candidates goes, that just leaves Nikola Jokic. And I know we know that Embiid ended up getting the MVP this year, but this is going to be his chance to really have his signature moment. I know Giannis had that a couple years ago. Joel, while he's had some great moments for the Sixers, he has yet to lead them past the second round. He probably has the syndrome that the Washington Capitals had until 2018, so to speak. And so it'll be interesting to see how he does against the Los Angeles Lakers and a few guys who are definitely no stranger to the big game. There's LeBron James, who, need I say more, is one of the greatest players in NBA history. And look, as much as I'm not a big LeBron fan, you know very well that he's a guy that I feel like is underappreciated now, but we're really not going to praise him so much until the end of his career. And I feel like Michael Jordan, it was kind of the same way once he really retired and ended his reign of dominance with the uh, Chicago Bulls. But I pretty much feel the same way with LeBron now that he's pretty much close to a lot of the big NBA records, so to speak. But It'll be interesting to see if this really could be his last good stand because we know he's getting up there in years. So definitely some great storylines in this Lakers-Nuggets matchup. And I think you know that personally I'm rooting for the Denver Nuggets. But if LeBron makes it and we get another Lakers-Celtics series, that would be pretty interesting. But I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself there, so to speak, you know? No, that's fair. I I feel like when I when I watch LeBron and the Lakers in these first two rounds against Memphis and against Golden State, it feels like they're only getting stronger. And this was the potential that we thought, right? I mean, this is the potential that we were thinking about with the Lakers when LeBron went over there, when Anthony Davis went there. This is what we were, I don't know, we're expecting, but you know, potentially looking at happening here. And it seems like that's the case. And can I also just say I was dead wrong? I thought it would be Warriors against the Suns in the conference finals. Yeah, I, I you know, this postseason, Hank, 
you know, in the NBA, this is very, very unusual because you have an eight seed in the conference finals. You have the Lakers who were, what, a seven seed in the conference finals. Mm-hmm. And it, that's that doesn't usually happen. You know, you don't have an eight seed go this far. I mean, it's very rare that you have the eight one upset like we saw with the heat over the, the Bucks. It's, I think, only happened like six other times. And it's very, very rare because usually the best player on that first team in the home court means so much. But we're seeing more and more of that, that that's not necessarily the case. And I got to tell you, I think it's going to continue here in these conference finals because I just, as great as Nikola Jokic is, and Jamal Murray has had his moments too, I don't know if Denver has enough else to get by in this series. I, You know, if Jamal Murray can deliver like his, his playoff run, like in 2020 when he seemed like he was one of the best players in basketball – I mean, he 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 looked unstoppable at times a couple of years ago, but he's had his moments too. But this this Nuggets team runs through Jokic. And I feel like when you look at the Lakers, you have Davis, you have LeBron, you've got other guys that have also stepped up. And you've, you've even seen uh, Walker, Lonnie Walker, have some moments too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this I, we'll, we'll have to see here, but... I just feel like this is really the Lakers' time to shine here. And I I think they've been showing. I think it's going to continue. Now, with that being said, I all, I don't think this is going to be a short series. I, I don't think either of these two series are going to be short. I think they're both going to go long. I think this Lake, this Nuggets-Lakers series is going the distance. Oh, I completely agree. I think it's definitely going to go the full seven. And, yeah, I – I feel like the Lakers are a team that definitely got stronger as the playoffs went along. You really saw a good amount of their bench depth. And yeah, I would probably lean towards the Lakers as well. And one of the reasons that I'm not as high on Denver is other than Murray and Jokic, it doesn't feel like the Nuggets really have that much depth when compared to Los Angeles, right? No, they. The I remember watching the Nugget games. They don't play a deep rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, they starting five and they'll play what, maybe three, four more guys off the bench. I mean, they're playing seven to eight a night and some teams can get by with that. Other teams can't, but you're looking also at a number one offense versus the number one defense. And when it comes to that, and when it comes to the, the playoffs, I'm going to take the, the defensive team in this spot. So Oh, and Anthony Davis has done a really good shutdown job so far in the playoffs, too. He he sure has. And you know what? They just look at the shot charts of the Memphis Grizzlies as proof. Yeah, and look, and here's the here's a good stat to know. The Lakers allow their opponents to shoot just fifty just under fifty one percent, which is the second lowest in the paint. And that mark with Anthony Davis on the floor is under forty eight percent. So you know, you know, Jokic likes to go down low. Uh, that that is going to be an amazing matchup. The the Jokic uh, Anthony Davis uh, matchup in this spot. So between that, LeBron, who seems like he's had some sort of resurgence. You know, he he. It seems like he's battled two opponents and Father Time in this postseason, and it seems like he's only getting stronger. And Here's the thing there too. So Aaron Aaron Gordon, who is who LeBron's probably going to, you know, defend in this in this um, series. There's no backup if Gordon gets into foul trouble. And again, that's Hank. I think that's just alluding to your point. 
the depth on Denver's side, while the best player on in this series is on Denver, the deeper team is the Lakers. Yeah, exactly. So, given all of that, I know Jokic is fantastic, but given the fact that the Lakers have been on a resurgence while it looks like LeBron has turned back time a little bit while Anthony Davis is healthy, and this is the potential that the LeBron AD Lakers are showing, I think the Lakers are getting out of this series and they're going to the NBA Finals again. It just seems like, you know, you look at these teams, there, there are certain teams that you look at and, you know, let's be fair, the Lakers did have a very favorable road because they played the Grizzlies when they were not the same team. And again, that's a series that you could throw the, the, the seeding out the window, the 2-7 matchup, because that was not the same Grizzlies team that was the two-seed earlier in the year. The whole John Morant situation, which we're going to, which by the way, he's back in the news again, which you're going to get to in just a little bit. Uh, Another more, so I think they had a also more PTSD to the PB and no J. Uh, yes, absolutely. But so they got, they were able to get past them. The the Warriors, you know, the Golden State 6 7 matchup there, I thought was also a pretty favorable way to get there. And now they're taking on the Nuggets team, which, you know, is the number one seed, but. Lakers seem to have the deeper team, and sometimes these deeper teams mean something. You know, we're going to get to that with the the Heat. I think that was part of the reason why they were able to get past the Knicks is I think they were actually deeper than them. But, yeah, I think out West you're looking at this, and I think the Lakers are getting out of there. I think it's going to take, though, six or seven games. Like, I don't think this is going to be a short series on either team's side. So I'm going to take the Lakers to get out of the West and get back to the NBA Finals, and LeBron is going to have another chance at another ring. Uh, and possibly we're looking at a 2020 rematch down there in the bubble in Miami, the only in Florida. The only difference is going to be this one is going to be it won't be in a bubble. This will be in both teams' home courts. So that's what I'm going to go with here. I'm going to take the Lakers, and I'm going to go the full seven here. I think it's going to be Lakers seven. I think okay. LeBron and AD. I think the depth that the Lakers are showing. The problem I have with Denver is after Jokic, you have Murray and you don't really have enough else because if those guys get into foul trouble, and like I said, the Anthony Davis defense on Jokic I think is going to be huge here. I don't think they have enough enough else. I mean, I know they've got uh, Coldwell Pope, who was a former Laker, but I don't think this Nuggets team is going to have enough. And sometimes as much as it's about the stars, it's also about your other players too. And so that's why I'm going to take the Lakers here to get out of the West and make it back to the East to make it back to the NBA Finals in seven. Now, this Eastern Conference one also is absolutely amazing here because you've got the two-seeded Celtics, who I still thought were the best team in the East going into the playoffs, even though they were the two-seed, facing a Miami team that almost is doing the equivalent of, of like what we would see in the Stanley Cup playoffs, where the team gets hot at the right time, gets favorable matchups, and makes a deep run. Well, that's what they're doing because they easily disposed the – uh, they easily disposed of the number one seeded Bucks, and they got past the Knicks in six, which was a kind of a bummer. But at the end of the day, as far as a, as far as I am as a Knicks fan, very successful season, and we'll talk about that a little bit more down the road. But they've had a very favorable path. Jimmy Butler has looked like an absolute superstar. You know, they're doing. Remember, uh, remember how they're doing this too. They're doing this uh, without the, poss- the the sixth man of the year in Tyler Hero. Uh, they're doing this with other guys stepping up in big ways too. And, you know, this is a spot where they've been in before and the Celtics have been in before. So you've got that. You've got the Celtics who uh, had an unbelievable comeback series against the Philadelphia 76ers. And so that 
creates for a an epic Eastern Conference final here, Hank. Yeah, definitely. And I think another person that needs to get a lot of credit for the Miami Heat, and he continues to prove time and again why he very well might be the best coach in the NBA, Eric Spolster, man. Like, I love a lot of um, what he's done over the past, um, what, half de- past decades since LeBron's left, and he really brought the Heat back into relevance. And it's funny, I feel like we... I feel like he really got better, actually, once LeBron uh, left the Heat, although we already knew he was okay. We weren't really sure whether it was in, because of him or in spite of him, but I believe now this is the third time in the last uh, four years that the Miami Heat have made it to the conference finals under his watch as the head coach, so that's definitely pretty good with for the Miami Heat, and also, you know I got to give credit to Jimmy Butler. I know Johnny, like you, I'm not really that big of a fan of the Miami heat. And I think it really goes back to the big three, but you, I know are much older. So I know you remember oh, when the Knicks, heat I, go, I go back to Alonzo morning and yeah. uh, Pat Riley. I mean, it, it, it goes back really. Yeah. I mean, it really goes back to that moment in 98 with Jeff Van Gundy on Alonzo. Oh, what he was holding on mean, for dear life. I remember that yeah, very well. It really does. I mean, this has been, but you know what though? I mean, there've been great moments too, you know, Alan Houston's, uh, Shot that hits off the front rim and goes in in the play. 7.7 I mean, seconds. Absolutely classic. Yep, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of great moments. I mean, that's why I've always said that I think the Heat are actually one of the biggest rivals the Knicks have had. So when, you know, we were talking about Knicks Nets, when Brooklyn got those big guys, I'm like, that's fine. I, as a Knicks fan, that doesn't bother me because they're not my biggest rival. I mean, I actually think these two teams are the biggest rivals to the Knicks, the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. So it's, you know, kind of painful. But at the same time, I have to respect what they're doing because – you well, that being Boston. said, I also want to say I love me some Jimmy Butler. Like, yeah, the, the Heat are a team that like are kind of like off and on during the regular season. But I feel like the Heat probably would have won had they like you know tended to focus on the regular season more. But that's the thing; they know that the regular season doesn't really mean much. And Jimmy Butler in the playoffs absolutely turns it on. I mean, ninety-eight points in the last two games against the Milwaukee Bucks incredible and he was a big reason why they got past New York Knickerbockers in the second round and you and I will talk about our Knicks probably later to come but with that being said I'm absolutely proud of what the Knicks have done and for the first time since probably when I was like either a freshman or a sophomore in high school like I actually have hope for the New York Knicks and though that's a sentence I never thought I'd hear for a very long time coming out of my mouth but Back yeah. to the Miami Heat. Max Struess has been another really solid role mm-hmm. player for them. I saw him hitting some really clutch shots. So, and I have to say, I was with some uh, family friends who were very big Boston Celtics fans, and you know they'll tell you they really are afraid of the Miami Heat going into this matchup against the Boston Celtics. And yeah, it's funny. Normally, if if I looked at the two rosters. I would be hard hard pressed to pick against uh, the Boston Celtics because I feel like the Celtics have the better roster. But you know, coaching and Jimmy Butler, I feel it could make a really big difference. So I'm almost scared to really pick against the Miami Heat in this series. And not to mention, this is also Joe Mazzulla's first year coaching the Celtics, and I'm sure many Boston fans will tell you if the Celtics don't even make it to the finals or. God forbid, for their sake, they lose the finals. They can blame, um, uh, what's his name, Ime Adoka for his whole 
shenanigans, so to speak, if I want to, you know, be polite about it. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm looking at this, though, and the Celtics are not the Bucks, and they're not the Knicks. Because right. you look at Boston, I mean, yeah, we're going to talk about Jason Tatum, but if Jason Tatum has, like, what he had in Game 6, where he struggled for the first, like, 90% of the game before he really got it going in Game 4, they've got other options. See, that was one of the saving graces that Miami had against the Knicks is they don't the Knicks really didn't have a second or third score. Miami's got other options. Milwaukee's got Giannis and they have what? Maybe Chris Middleton, but that's it. The Knicks didn't really get a second option. I think my I think Boston's got that. But you bring up also a good point. The coaching angle to this is going to be also a very interesting thing that I'm going to be watching in this series because Joe Mazzulli who's the youngest coach in the league right now, who's been thrown in and done a fantastic job this year, to go up against Eric Spolster, who's been down this road time and time again, is something to watch here too. Also, one thing I, I'm looking for in the series, and we were talking about with Jason Tatum, Miami's defense against him. You know, so it, it Brunt, Jalen Brunson did have some trickery but uh, in that series, but, you know, how do you do this against Tatum? That's a, that's a big thing, too. We know how Boston likes to go up and down the court, court really quick. We saw that, especially in the Philly series. Miami doesn't do that. You know, they will take their time, work the ball around, use up the shot clock. That's That was one of the things you saw a lot of in the series. They they, they uh, took their time, methodically got their shots, and, you know, the Knicks were just, like, hoisting it from everywhere. Miami didn't do that. It was another thing, too, in the series. So those two, they played they, – it, these two teams play a different style of basketball, but when I look at this, though, Hank, the Celtics are different than the Bucks. They are different than the Knicks, and I think they're going to have they're going to get this one done here. And I think Miami's going to come up. Their magical run is going to come up a little bit short here. I'm going to take the Celtics in six, and I think we're going to be looking at an old school classic NBA Finals between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. You know what, Johnny? I need to make things interesting on you. So you know what I'm going to do? I am going to take the Miami Heat to win this series in seven. I think Jimmy Butler has another signature performance up his sleeve. And again, this is just something that my gut's telling me. And maybe this is because I'm really like worried about picking against the Heat. But I just have that crazy sense that Eric Spolstra is going to somehow find a way to coach circles around him when it matters most. And ultimately Miami's just going to win that game seven. This is like a really weird, like gut feeling I have, but, and I, I trust me, I'm not saying this because I despise the Celtics. This mm-hmm. is just me going with like my gut. Give me the heat in seven. So I think that's look the way Miami's played this year, the way these NBA playoffs have been, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami gets, gets out of the series. Now, for to me, for Miami to get out of the series, though, somebody else is going to have to come up and and provide a spark. You know, I mean, you've seen flashes of that, but I mean, obviously, this has been really mostly Butler. But I mean, you've had Bam Adebayo step up in a, in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we said, Tyler Hero is still a few weeks away. It seems like from returning, if that's possible, Duncan Robinson is a guy that could be that guy. Uh, Strauss, who um, also had a good series against the Knicks, could be that too. But yeah, it's gonna somebody else is gonna have to step up here in a big way 
And I just think when you look at Boston, I mean, you've got Marcus Smart, you've got Al Horford, you've got Robert Williams, who's stepped in and done well. You've obviously got Tatum, who put up a classic 51, maybe the best. You know, we talked about Steph Curry having the best Game 7 performance in NBA history while it only lasted a couple of weeks. That aged as well as the milk in my refrigerator. Yes, absolutely. And that was unbelievable. That happened so quick. I was so locked into the game on Sunday because we really couldn't go out for Mother's Day, unfortunately. But um, I was so locked into the game. And the third quarter, it happened so quick. I mean, Tatum had 30 points at halftime. But then what they were able to do to Miami, in the, to I should say Philadelphia in the second half of that, in the, especially in that third quarter, when Jason Tatum outscores the 76ers by himself in the third quarter, <laughs> was an absolute classic. And it's an all-timer, Hank. It really is. Johnny, I was looking at the score. I was watching the game, don't get me wrong, but I was looking at the scoreboard, and let me just make sure I wasn't um, reading a typo. Ten points? Ten? Yeah. I'm sorry. What? Tatum outscored them 17-10 to in that third, and Boston outscored them 33-10. to That's banana land. it happened so quick. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we talk about coaches being fired like uh, Mike Boonholzer in Milwaukee, Monty Williams in Phoenix, which we're going to get to in a couple of minutes. Oh, Doc Rivers, I'll tell you right now, could be the next guy because some of the decisions that, that happened in that, in that, first of all, Joel Embiid completely, you know, fell apart for whatever reason in game six and seven. And James Harden, once again, looks like he had no interest being out there. And I'll tell you what that's one of the things, you know, is that's why I never really loved Brooklyn going after him in the first place. He he just didn't look like he wanted any part of it and wanted to get to the off season as fast as he could. So I feel for Philadelphia because this process that they called about the process took about 10 years of life off, uh, 10 years of life off of them. And they have no rings. That they, must have they, they have no finals appearances. I got to say, um, the more I think about it, Sam Hinkie may have given Philadelphians the biggest Ponzi scheme we've ever seen since uh, Bernie Madoff. I mean, you know, <laughs> not trying to compare the two, but the Knicks playoff exit was less painful than the Sixers. Oh, no question. The Sixers, can I just, I'm sorry, this might have been the most talented roster the Sixers have had since, uh, if you want to even call it that, the process in my Dr. Evil quotation marks actually started coming to fruition around, say, 2018 because, you know, that was when JoJo emerged as, like, an MVP candidate and that was when Ben Simmons showed flashes of brilliance and we all know how that turned out. That was when they had Jimmy Buckets and... Imagine an alternate universe, by the way, where they somehow were able to find a way to keep Jimmy on that roster. But that's a story for another day. And that was when um, they tried to go all in and get uh, James Harden. By the way, correct me if I'm wrong. James Harden, how many points did he score in the second half of game seven? Zero. Um, Zero point zero. In other words, you and I had... You and I did about as well as him in that game. Yeah. <laughs> and um, by the way, can I just uh, mention another thing? Johnny, I got a trivia question for you. 
Oh, I love this game show. You love this game show stuff. Yes. Oh yeah, I'm I'm feeling it right now. Who yeah. had the most points for the Sixers in that game seven monstrosity? I believe it was, if I remember correctly, I believe it was Tyreek Maxey. Now, who was it? Tobias mm. Harris with 19. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Tobias Harris with 19. That was their quote-unquote best performer. Well, And see, by it, the way, I think he's definitely worth that contract too. No, no, I'm kidding, by the way. That was, that. no. <laughs> no, no, right, look, but I mean, if you would have told me if, Tobias Harris was their leading scorer in game seven, then Doc Rivers is in big trouble. Um, Another thing I was about to get to, by the way, regarding Doc Rivers. The question for me isn't so much should they fire him. The real question, and again, you know I'm being satirical about this. Do they even let him get on the team bus back to Philadelphia? Well, he's still the coach as of uh, this recording, so... I'm going to say yes. I'm serious question. Like, was that even a good idea? Because, like, how many game sevens has this guy blown over the past – or how many series has this guy blown over the past decade? Like, yeah, you you won with the Celtics, but now I'm starting to get the – well, actually, I'm not starting, but I think now I can almost confirm that he has, like, the Dave Roberts or Mike McCarthy-like vibes where he wins that one championship with all that talent and then – after that one championship, you have so many series that they choked away with the big three Celtics. I mean, how that team didn't win more than one title together is kind of beyond me. But again, tangent for another day. And then the Clippers, need I say more? I mean, I know it's the Clippers, but still, that blowing three to one that year was pretty bad. And then with an, with probably a roster that's just as much talented with the 76ers, yeah, that's pretty bad. And by the way, can I tell you another crazy fact with regards to the Sixers? Yeah. Because this is just going to keep getting more and more painful, my uh, stats that I have. Did you know that in 2019, when they lost to Kyrie with the double doink game, I like to call the reverse double doink with regards to Philadelphia, if you know what I'm referring yes. to. Um, yep. That happened on Mother's Day. Fast forward two years later when uh, you had the infamous Ben... Ben Simmons series against the Atlanta Hawks. Oh man. That happened on father's day. And now this year you wow. have an even worse choke. This also happens on mother's day. You know, <laughs> I'm and sorry. It, how crazy is it that the Sixers always seem to choke on national? And they had them. So that's the thing. It's it really, it's really bad. Oh man. I'm sorry. They're just, I know I can't, I know I'm not really rooting for the Celtics, but it's so hard for me not to just poke fun at the Sixers. But I mean, look, Philadelphia, you, there there is a bright side. You're getting bright. You got Bryce Harper back from Tommy John. It looks like he's doing well. It looks like you have the Flyers. Oh, wait, never mind. I'm sorry, JK. <laughs> disregard what I'm saying about the Flyers. No, but at least have one bad team in Philadelphia. Yeah, at least your football team had had an absolutely killer draft and. The only way they don't go back to the Super Bowl, in my opinion, is if something goes horribly wrong. But that's, again, tangent for another day. Well, you know, that's that's the thing. You know, when we talk about, you know, the future of these teams, and we've got two head coach openings already with Monty Williams out in, in Phoenix, I really wonder if, with considering Monty Williams' resume, too, how Doc survives this. I, 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 right. It's hard to see Doc surviving this. 
if he survives this service personally, I really do. But I just think the way the Philadelphia is, I just don't see how he's going to survive this. I mean, it can, especially you look at Mike Boonholzer and look what he did in the last four years. You look at Monty Williams, what he did in the last four years, and they're gone. And you look at, at Doc and the fact that LMB, the MVP of the league, you know, then comes out post game and pretty much goes after the entire team. James Harden, once again, in a game seven, is a complete no-show. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that team, for as talented as it is, has a lot of headaches. And I wonder if Doc really wants – I mean, maybe Doc's sake, too, to see if he wants to really survive this. Because, I mean, you've got now guys out there, if you're, if you're the Sixers, there's other options. I mean, you've got Mike Boonholzer. you got Monty Williams. You have Nick Nurse. I'll give you another question, Johnny. Yeah. If you're Philadelphia, do you do you not what it what is it gonna take to see the fans not burn down the Wells Fargo Center with their pitchforks? Um I think you know where I'm getting at. No, I I do get what you're saying, but with regards to Doc Rivers. Yeah. But you know, while while it's easy to blame the coach, you know, you can look at the players too. Oh no, the players are just as much at fault. I mean, look. But you know the coach usually doesn't survive when it comes to something like that. So exactly as the old cliche goes, you can you can't always fire the players, so you kind of got to fire the coach. But yeah, it also begs the question: Are the Sixers, are the Sixers? And I'm I've kind of asked the same. I'm kind of going to be asking the same thing about our Rangers. Should God forbid we keep seeing more playoff letdowns with this current core? But I do have to ask the question: Are the Sixers the definition of insanity? Same thing every year and expecting different results. Yes, but I think they are. Tr- but yeah, there's there's something that has to change there. So they are, it is kind of insanity. Yes. Also, by the way, can I ask another uh, silly question? Sure. Just a silly what question. do you What do you think uh, Josh Harris's uh, bigger loss was? The Devils, the Sixers, or the fact that he just bought the Commanders? Yes. <laughs> Although I think he can turn the commanders around more so. I'm sorry. You know I had to go. I of course. Go. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> but we'll find out that because that team is going to be one team to watch in the offseason. You know, the Knicks are going to be a team to watch because they've got a very, you know, because some of the pieces are there. I think for our sake, I think we'll save the Knicks for more in the offseason because I think they're going to be relevant in the offseason like they were last offseason. Mm-hmm. We kept talking about them with Donovan Mitchell. And yes, folks, I, I will continue to say this too. If Donovan Mitchell was on the Knicks, there'd be no difference right now. So, uh, we'll, but we'll find out. Look, real quick as a Knicks fan, I was bummed Friday night. You know, I was out with my friends, mm-hmm. having a great time. The game was on, was on the screen. So, you know, as much as I'm enjoying listening to music and I should be having a great time, I was focused on the game too. I was kind of doing both, trying to hide it. Deep down inside, you know, I was bummed. Game six, you know, it stung a bit. But when you look at the big picture, very successful year with the Knicks. But now the question – but you're going to have some question marks with them in the offseason. I think the biggest one with the Knicks is what are you going to do with Julius Randle? That's, that, to me, is like the million-dollar question because I could definitely see them listening to offers for him. I also, though, could see him staying there and trying to build a team around them. So we'll, we'll find out, though. We'll save that, though, for more in the offseason. But, I, but Hank, you would agree with me. This was a very successful year for them. 
I mean, look, generally speaking, I tend to come from the Brian Attard school of thought with regards to my teams. And that's that um, if you uh, didn't win a championship, more often than not, you're a fail- failure. However, there is a certain degree where I disagree with this. And my general school of thought is my expectations with all my teams that I root for are always going to be as high as say the level of talent on the Knicks. And, you know, if you're going to look at the level of talent of the Knicks, I know it's hard to really look at a semifinals loss as say a success. Whereas you compare those to the 76ers and we're talking about a different story, but you know, you look at the talent level on the Knicks besides Jalen Brunson and besides like, uh, and like, you know, maybe some of the other guys that didn't really do as well. Where were the Knicks with comparison to say the Miami heat or the Boston Celtics? And I know the Miami heat were number eight seed, but you know, what do I, I'm going to give you a new phrase that I think I need to copyright. And hopefully by copywriting this phrase, I can make a good amount of moolah off of it, but (laughs) Seeds and records for the regular season are just numbers. That's exactly what they are. They don't really matter. It depends on what they do during the postseason. And the Miami Heat proved they were the better team. And look, you and I, I think you and I were probably some of the fewer Knicks fans that didn't buy into the thinking that, oh, the Knicks are going to just go to the conference finals because they're playing the Miami Heat. No, we've seen Jimmy Butler perform at an elite level time and again in the postseason. And he probably, he came damn near close to bring Miami to the finals last year too. But I think the Knicks, all things considered, definitely had a, had a successful season. I mean, look, if you want a playoff series for the first time since I was a teenager, then, you know, I think that really tells you all you need to know. And you, when you really look at the Knicks as a whole and, how they've been a laughing stock for so long. I mean, that 2013 team, as I said, was the only, not only was it the, the last time they even won a playoff series, up until this year, that was the only time they had won a playoff series in this millennium. And when you look at how many losses the Knicks have had, I mean, look, you could make the argument that the Knicks were probably like, the NBA's version of what so many people have looked of the way so many people have looked at the Cleveland Browns, so to speak, if that makes any sense. So that's the first time as a Nick fan, you can really enter an off season having a legitimate amount of hope. And quite frankly, this is kind of the ending that I somewhat would have hoped to feel after the 2010, 2011 season when they uh, traded for Carmelo Anthony to team up with Amari Stoudemire, because I don't really want to get into that, but I feel like that trade in a way sort of ruined the good vibes of that season. But again, that's a tangent for another day. This team had so many likable, had such a likable cast of characters with, you know, Jalen Brunson, obviously being the best player. He drew, he was dropping like 40 points seemingly every night and, I got to get me a Jalen Brunson jersey because sadly my current Knicks jersey collection is not current, but neither here nor there. <laughs> um, Julius Randle, who's kind of been mercurial, but you know he was good for the most part of the season, and he even had good role players such as Isaiah Hardenstein and um, 
Josh Hart was one of their best um, trade deadline pickups in quite some time. And I love that he had that New York Yankees parade in his hair. Gotta love that. And yes, not to mention he's a relative of uh, former Yankees legend, Nelson Howard. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then there's RJ Barrett who had some moments where he didn't look as good, but then he had some moments where he looked like he improved. The future's definitely bright for the Knicks. And I have a feeling that more superstars are going to want to come, come to play for the Knicks. Whereas in the past you'd have players wanting to come to the Knicks for all the wrong reasons. It's kind of similar to what I've often said about the Rangers, like back when I was growing up, you know? Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, this is going to be a big off season for them because the, some of the pieces are there, but there's definitely there. I mean, there needs to be more. That's, that's the thing. So we'll, we'll see, but I mean, they've got their point guard. I still like Barrett. Um, I'm still not looking to getting rid of him. And by the way, you noticed how after team six, how he stood at his locker and he answered all the questions. So, he was great. Josh Hart was such a great pickup under the radar trade acquisition trade deadline pickup. He, mm-hmm. he flourished. And don't kid yourself too. You know, part of the thing with the Knicks this series was their guys were logging a lot of minutes. Like you know, Randall on a bum ankle, Brunson probably on a bum ankle. When uh, Emmanuel quickly left, you know, he got got hurt. Those have been ten to fifteen minutes that I think you know guys could have used to rest it. He could have subbed in there. So the pieces are there. I like Tom Tom Thibodeau. Uh, so it's, it's definitely, you know, they're in the, they're in the right direction here. Let's just say, you know, this is, you know, going into this all season, it is such a different feel from years past for sure. Hank, absolutely. Even this is, this feels more better than the one from a couple of years ago when they got, when they bowed out against the the Hawks, this definitely feels a lot better, but yeah, I, I would Julius agree. Randall is going to be the biggest question mark this off season because you can make the case to keep him and you can make the case to trade him. Should he stay or should he go? Yeah. Da, 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 I mean, he, he's da, one of those guys that you know what it's it's very polarizing what you what you want to do with him. But we'll say that for the off season. But nevertheless, a very successful year for our Knickerbockers. Well, a team that you know we were talking about last week on the show. We talked about Mike Bootenholzer. Mm-hmm. He let go of the Bucks. Well, we have another coach that's out of a job in the NBA, and that's Monty Williams, who the Suns fired after four seasons and you know this is a former coach of the year uh the Suns who bowed out early again uh a team that you know brought in Kevin Durant to team up with uh Devin Booker and they fell short again and this now Monty Williams is out of a job Hank I yeah he's one of the better coaches in the NBA and I would say probably the most probably the best coach they've had since um you know, our guy, Mike D'Antoni, no? But, um, because I really can't think of yeah. many successful coaches in Phoenix Suns history. But with that having been said, I mean, again, it was a really, he had a really good run at it with their head coach. And he had a really good story, too. I mean, didn't he have, a, I forget what it was, but he had a tragedy in his family not too long ago happen. And then he bounced back and led, bounced back, was coaching the Suns, led them to the finals and, I thought he was a decent coach. I didn't really think he was the problem there, but it seems to me like so many of these NBA coaches are just like replaceable, you know? And I think in an alternate universe where say the Suns hold on to that lead against the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, who knows, maybe he keeps his job, but we'll never know. But I, again, I, I don't think he's going to be out of a job for too long. Hank, when this, when I first learned about this, this uh, news, the first mm-hmm. thing that came to my mind is, what do the Phoenix Suns have 
they've got a new owner. That Matt, yeah, Matt no, Ishbia, that makes a lot of sense. So I I was thinking that you know well this is Matt Ishbia who took over for disgraced Robert Sarver, and you know him making that decision make it kind of you kind of understand why that why that was and it seemed like and I think Woj had said this too that he really that Monty Williams that Ishbia never really warmed as to Williams being the, the head coach so usually when you have a new owner in whether it's any whatever sport you want to say they want their own guys you know it's almost like the general manager too you know when a new GM takes over he wants his own guys there so um that's the first thing that came to my mind because otherwise yeah there's no arguing that what Monty Williams did in his tenure there in Phoenix was very very successful you know he won an NBA coach of the year award he reached the NBA finals in 2021 and they went from one of the league's laughing stocks to the winningest team in the NBA over the past three seasons. And, you know, you've got a homegrown star there in Devin Booker. You know, again, this is a what if. Chris Paul, you know, always hurt. What if he's there? Oh, they could have used him too. Absolutely. And the problem you have is as great as a potential as it could be with Booker and Kevin Durant, they weren't really together that much because remember Phoenix made the trade for Durant and Durant was still hurt at the time. And then he plays a few games and then in, in warmups, he ends up hurting himself in warmups and misses even more time. So that chemistry never had a chance to really gel. But again, the first thing I think about is Ishbia, the new owner there. And also in the elimination loss, they didn't have Deandre Ayton. And I'll tell you right now, very quietly, if you're a Knicks fan, look at DeAndre Ayton as a possibility too. If you wanted to make a splash, oh my gosh, that that would be a so, good move. I would love that. So now we've got the Bucks, the Pistons, the Raptor. I mean, let's see here. We got the Bucks, obviously needing a coach. We've got the Pistons looking for a coach. The Raptors are looking for one, and. We wrote. We know about some of the names that we mentioned already. So, I agree with you. Though it won't be long before they come back. I mean, Monty Williams' resume speaks for itself. Just like Mike Bootenholzer, you know, these guys will find one. And again, that's why we were just talking about it a few minutes ago with the Philadelphia 76ers. You know what? And I believe Monty Williams, if I remember correctly, is a former 76er. So that would be an interesting spot to go back there. But it won't be long before he lands a job. But that's what I ultimately think about when I heard this about Monty Williams being let go was. You've got a new owner there in Phoenix who's trying to set the, the ground straight. Uh, and I think that's ultimately what did it in. Yeah, no, I think that definitely makes sense. Now, whether it comes back to haunt the Phoenix Suns or not, or whether it turns out to be successful, only time will tell. But again, I don't know if I'd necessarily feel too badly for Williams because as as I said, and, you, and you've pretty much alluded to, he's going to find a job in a matter of time and – I could definitely see them going a different route and finding another good coach, like within the matter of like, you know, a month or two. So, and whoever wants, whoever goes in the, into Phoenix is going to inherit a really good situation. So I, I would imagine there's going to be a number of candidates up the wazoo. No, no, for for sure. Hank, Ab- absolutely. We will find out because you know that the NBA off season now, between the coaching high, coaching changes and everything else is going to be a, a critical one for a bunch of teams. Actually, but, let me use an analogy here with regards to the coaching search. It's going to be like so many te- 
teenagers lining up lining up to try to win that prize Maserati after turning 16. <laughs> yes, I like that. That's a that's a very good one. But we will of course keep you updated throughout the NBA offseason as well. Well, we've got our East, we got our conference finals in the NBA set. We just about have well, we will have our conference finals in the NHL set this week as well. Uh, as we're recording this, we're still waiting for one more series to finish. But you know, talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs, Hank, our Eastern Conference one is all set. So yes. we've got the uh, Hurricanes and Panthers in the East, and we've got the Vegas Golden Knights who got past the Oilers, to, you know, much to my alignment because I did have the Oilers coming out of the West. And they were going to meet the winner of either the Kraken or the Stars who were playing Game 7 uh, before we recorded this. So, again, we'll have one of those series to match up. But, you know, Hurricanes-Panthers, you know, Hank, I tell you, I remember you were on a couple weeks ago we were talking about the Hurricane Devil series and – I have, you would say you're you're surprised with Carolina how far they made it, right? And how they actually easily dispose of New Jersey. Johnny, do you want me to use uh, my line on you? Go for it. Raise your hand if you thought you were going to get an Eastern Conference Finals featuring the Hurricanes and the Panthers. Put it down your line! Okay. Yeah, no, that's pretty much how I feel. I mean, look, I knew that the Hurricanes were a very strong team, but... and. Don't get me wrong. If the Hurricanes were hurt fully healthy, I probably would have picked them to beat the New Jersey Devils. However, they're, I am very healthy or not, even if Svechnikov and Tara Vinen were playing, I am very shocked that they were able to beat the Devils so easily. However, if you look at that series, I think it comes down to one thing. The Hurricanes did something that the Rangers failed to do. They tested Schmidt early and often, and they were getting on him like crazy. And trust me, watching this series, as much as I'm relieved that the Hurricanes ended up beating the Devils with ease, it's also killing me on the inside because, Johnny, I'm sorry to sound like a salty Rangers fan, but I truly believe we would have had our shot, a good shot at beating the Hurricanes. I mean, look, I do. it's not so much because I think the Rangers own them, but look at all the star power we had on this team. This is why that loss to the Devils is just going to come back and hurt for so long. But you know what? I digress. Let's talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, yeah, really good team. They've been, they've been in the dance before, so... On the surface, it's really not that much of a surprise to see them in the conference finals. I mean, look, Sebastian Ajo had a really good series, and Rod Brindamore has become one of the better coaches in the league. In fact, when you really look at Rod Brindamore's tenure, when he came in to coach the Hurricanes, they were pretty much one of the laughing stocks of the league, too. I mean, up until they became the bunch of jerks in 2019 and made that surprisingly deep run to the conference finals. I don't think they'd the last time they'd made it to the playoffs, I want to say it was around 2009. So a lot's definitely changed with regards to the Carolina Hurricanes, but they have definitely become one of the bigger like powerhouses of the Eastern Conference over the past few years. And then when you talk about the, the Florida Panthers, this is a team that on the surface, it pretty much looks like a, a surprise that they're here. And it is a surprise because three to one against the Bruins, the Bruins had should have absolutely put them away. In fact, 
they were a Brad Marchand breakaway from possibly ending that series in five, but they didn't go, go away. In fact, they got stronger as not only did they get stronger as that series went on, Johnny, they got strong once they got to the series against the Toronto Maple Leafs, they kind of yeah. had that air of in- invincibility around them. And if you really remember in that Bruins series, the Bruins over the last three games had a lot of problems with Florida's forechecking. And I think Toronto had a worse go of it with regarding Florida. But let's not forget, this same Panthers team just one year ago, they actually were a President's Trophy. And Johnny, the Panthers actually kind of have a little bit of a Washington Capitals 2018-like feel to it in the sense that you kind of thought that their best chance to make a deep run had been uh, past them, especially after they got embarrassed in that second round against Tampa Bay Lightning in four straight. But they've really had a good team. The Matt Kachuk trade really helped them. And, God, I wish we had one of the Kachuk brothers on the Rangers. But, again, I'm going to try to keep the salt level to a minimum and make sure it's nowhere (laughs) near that of the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean. So, and you also have to give credit to – Sergey Bobrovsky and Johnny, I got to tell you, I got to tell you a fun fact. Playoff Bob has pretty much stood in the way of both the 2019 light, uh, lightning and the 2023 Bruins, two teams that had historic regular seasons only to have nothing to show for it in the playoffs. Hmm. And then he pretty much, you know, had a great series against the lightning or the Maple Leafs. Like it was nothing. I mean, granted the Leafs had their problems with injuries, especially their goalie situation. And I thought, I thought Wool for a bad situation played played the best he could, and the Leafs looked like they had a chance to really steal that series and make things interesting, especially after they had that goal taken away from them. But you also have to give the Leafs credit where credit is due. They finally get that playoff series monkey off their back. However, the unfortunate truth about the Maple Leafs was I think the Florida Panthers really exposed a big flaw that they had, and I'm going to get to that same flaw when talking about the Edmonton Oilers. They had a lot of stars such as Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and William Nylander, and John Tavares, so to speak. But the problem was, and Johnny, you're going to love this term that I'm about to use because it's a Clyde Frazier reference. Yes. Their defense was Swiss cheese. And (laughs) it really showed for why they ended up getting bounced in a shorter amount of time than a lot of people expected. But again, that being said, as much as you want to shame the Maple Leafs, you have to give credit where credit is due to the Florida Panthers. And Absolutely. this is a run that probably brings back a lot of similarities to the 1996 squad that made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. But, Johnny, between you and me, I think this is a better and more talented Panthers team than that squad was. And both of them had Cinderella runs, too, I might add. Yep. No, you're, you're, you are absolutely right. So when we look at uh, – this series, and we'll get to the West in just a moment here, but since this series is a stead and sown, the Hurricanes and, and Panthers, which I believe start on Wednesday, I'll give you a fun fact about this series. Let's hear it. The seventh time that three brothers have squared off in a series in the Stanley Cup playoffs because you've got Eric and Mark Stahl, the Panthers, taking on brother Jordan of the Hurricanes. I'm going to guess that one of those pair of brothers has, has to be the uh, suitors and the stalls. You have the suitor, the suitors in... Actually, three times because you have uh, Ron twice. It was Ron Suter, Philadelphia over Dwayne over Dwayne and Brent Suter of the Islanders. Mm. You also have Brent Suter, Chicago in 92. Brent Suter of Chicago defeated Rich and Ron Suter of St. Louis. And you also go back to 
the Plaguers in 68. And then you I'm gonna, go back. Can I that? guess the Patricks? The, the other one, the other instance was the Bouchers back Ooh. in 1924. Oh, that's right. The, the, um, was it Frank Boucher or, or Bobby, Bobby and Billy Boucher defeating Frank Boucher in 24. And then also Bobby and Billy defeating George in the NHL final in 1924. And by the way, for those of you who are way too young to know about this, Frank Boucher actually was one of the first stars in New York Rangers history. And he actually spent the first 30 years of the franchise history with the Rangers and it makes it all the more surprising that he doesn't have his name in a banner in Madison Square Garden, but that's a rant for another day. Well, so boy, I tell you, so what do you, what do you think about the, this series? So I wanted to give you that fun fact is, you know, we're going to have a former buddy uh, now in the series, but what do you think about the series now um, as it gets ready to get, get going? I have a feeling this one's going to go the full seven. I really do. And with the Panthers and their whole Cinderella story, I think that high is going to continue, and I have them winning this in seven. Oh, man. Uh, I feel like it seems like Carolina is the more experienced team, but does experience really mean anything? I mean, it obviously doesn't because you look out west and you may have the possibility of about two expansion teams in the west. Again, let's not forget. Florida had a pretty good team in 2021 too. In fact, there was, there was a lot of uh, concern that they could upset that uh, 2021 champion Tampa Bay lightning. And we forget how good that roster was because they got eliminated in the first round and because of the way the playoff format was that year. So let's not act like this is an inexperienced squad. And as I mentioned, there was the president's trophy winner a year ago. Yeah. I, I, I think Florida is going to find a way to pull this out. I, I, I do. But see, here's the thing. I guess I have this feeling that if Carolina wins, it's going to be short. It'll be a shorter series. It'll be almost like five or six. If Carolina, if uh, Florida wins, I think it's going to be six or seven. So if Carolina wins, if the Hurricanes win, we'll go five. If the Panthers win, we're going to go six or seven. I'm going to take Florida. And again, isn't it amazing that we could possibly have four straight years where a Florida team is in the Stanley Cup Finals? That would. Who said Florida fun. wasn't a hockey sport? Well, actually, no. It doesn't seem like it's a hockey a hockey um, state on the surface, but at the same time, that's what having um, that's what happens when you finally have a decent ownership and good people sure. up in the front office building your team. But I also think part of that might have to do with the uh, state tax. But that's again, that's a tangent for another day. <laughs> So, um, so, so yeah. So I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take the Panthers in six over the Hurricanes. Okay, you get, now, you've got six. I got seven. All right, there we go. So now out west, we know that the Vegas Golden Knights won, got past the Oilers, which I you know I had Edmonton going all the way, but you know give Vegas credit. You know they're going back to the conference finals. Now again, we, we're doing this not knowing the results of the Kraken or the Stars. I, I would love to see the Kraken there. You know, the two expansion teams meet in the conference finals. But Hank, what's a better matchup for Vegas? I think the Kraken would be a better matchup for Vegas, and the reason that I say that is because this is a team that, on paper, like if you look at those two rosters on paper, I think Dallas definitely has the better team. Jason Robertson is an absolute star. 
Heiskanen's another really good defenseman. And then, of course, you've got Tyler Sagan, who's a guy that can absolutely help out with his playoff experience. And, of course, Jake Ottinger. I think Jake Ottinger is the definitely the better goalie between him and Grubauer. Although, I can't really, like, I can't really um, make light of Grubauer because if it wasn't for him, I don't think we'd even be talking about the Kraken right now. He really stole that series against his former team in the Colorado Avalanche. But with that having been said, at the same time, I also think the Vegas Golden Knights are a team that is absolutely loaded. And, you know, they were one of the better teams in the Western Conference that kind of got overlooked because of how deep the East was and all those 100-point teams were. But that may have been to their advantage because if you look at all the years past where Vegas was talked about as being a heavy favorite to make a deep run into the playoffs. Oftentimes they would end up having bad disappointment. This coming after, uh, you know, say the, their inc- incredible 2018 Stanley cup finals run. But, you know, I think their goaltending has definitely been really good. And then you've also gotten good production about from uh, Jack Eichel. And by the way, who know that who knew that putting Jack Eichel on a deep team would actually help him when compared to being on a lousy Sabres team? What a novel concept, right? What a concept, right? But, Absolutely. Yeah, and also I think Bruce Cassidy was definitely a great coach hire. And by the way, isn't it amazing, Johnny, that Bruce Cassidy has made it to the third round and look what happened to the team he'd coached just the year before. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You're gone. Oh, man, I still – and again, I still was pretty sh- shocked that the Bruins even fired him in the first place. But, yeah, yep. definitely have to give Vegas credit where credit is due. And whoever wins that series, it's definitely going to be very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, no, it should be should be a great series uh, regard, regardless. Um, you know, I'm hoping for a Vegas Kraken final, but, you know, the Stars – Remember, they got Joel Pavelski, who's had a four-goal game already in this postseason, too. They've, they've got some firepower. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Vegas and, and uh, the Kraken will be a, a, a great series, uh, no matter no matter, no matter what it is. I mean, the Vegas and the Kraken series would be great because those would be the two expansion teams. Also, you would have the uh, you know the Winter Classic uh, matchup next year already being, being seen here. I think they probably put that Winter Classic not realizing that there was a possibility that these two could possibly meet in the conference finals, but that's, but that's, where I thought that was so good we'll marketing by the NHL for sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, it's funny because that was a story we were originally going to touch on at some point, but uh, so much breaking news has happened that we we've had to let that, that go, but uh, yeah, no, it should be fun. And of course we'll decide, we'll talk a lot more about the conference finals on our next episode, but you know, keeping it here, Hank, I know this is a story you've been wanting to get to for a few days now, a little behind the scenes folks of how we do things here on game on, but the draft lottery in the uh, NHL. Now, it's funny because the NBA's having their draft lottery on Tuesday night. Last week, the NHL had theirs, and the Chicago Blackhawks won the 2023 NHL draft lottery. Hank, before you go off in your thing, I want to give you a very interesting nugget that uh, Emily Kaplan of ESPN broke uh, in the um, in the day after this, this news. So the Blackhawks told ESPN that they made over $5 million in ticketing revenue in less than a day after the team won the 2023. NHL draft lottery. That is because the projected number one overall pick in June's draft, a 17-year-old center from Canada, um, who 
they're saying is the best prospect since Connor McDavid. Uh, mm. So that's why that that's why business has been going up there. But Hank seems to have a Hank rant alert uh, that he wants to go off on. So Hank, what's uh, what's your beef with all this? Okay, I don't know if it's going to be quite as big of a rant as say mm. with the New York Rangers, but there the it fact, is. The fact that the Chicago Blackhawks somehow got this number one pick does not sit too well with me. And it doesn't really have to do with the fact that, say, um, that the Chicago Blackhawks weren't really the worst team, or it doesn't really have to do with the amount of talent that they have. I mean, you want to know what's really considered weird? The Blackhawks very well may have had a better year than the Bruins. Why? Because, well, the Bruins obviously had that epic choke, and now the Blackhawks are going to have that number one pick in the NHL draft. It just goes to show you hockey can be a funny game. And um, isn't that amazing, Johnny? But in any event, why do I hate that the Blackhawks got it? Well, have you guys forgotten the story that happened a few years ago? Now, I don't really want to touch too much into the whole Brad Aldrich, Kyle Beach scandal. But, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you were living under a rock and weren't really paying attention to the news with regards to the NHL, uh, the Blackhawks got shamed heavily and for good reason, because can you say, uh, cover up? I knew you could. And somehow the Blackhawks end up continue following in their falling down into their decline. You lose, um, you lose Patrick Kane to the Rangers. Not that I'm complaining about that. I, I was happy to have him, and for the record, I don't blame him for the Rangers falling short of the Stanley Cup playoffs. He was their third best player, but back to that, back to my Blackhawks uh, rant and tangent. Um, You lose Jonathan Taves, who very well may have been one of their best one-two tandems they've had since Makita and Hull, and, you know, it's the end of an era, and now all of a sudden, they're an original six-team you know, you have you have a whole lot of fans like revolting in the wake of that scandal. Hmm, they win the draft lottery. Coincidence? I think not. And you know what it tells me, Johnny? I'm sorry, but there's a part of me that thinks that the NHL draft is rigged. Now, why would I say that, you may ask? Don't you remember 20 years ago where some team from Pittsburgh was about to move and then they got some kid who, I don't know, he wore number 87, Sydney something. Yeah, what happened to them moving? Oh, nothing, actually. They proved that they really were flightless birds, the Penguins, and they stayed in their city. (laughs) And now you have the Blackhawks having some negative publicity and then after some people may have been critical that they honored the late Bobby Hull after he died. I mean, if you want to read more about Bobby Hull, look at the article that I wrote after his death about his complicated legacy. They get rewarded for getting possibly one of the best names in hockey in quite some time. I'm sorry. I don't know how that can just sit well with me. And then to hear that the Blackhawks all of a sudden made so made like what 5.2 million dollars in ticket sales 
You're telling me that that's a coincidence? Yeah, right. And of course, they're, they're an original six team too. So it kind of makes sense. No. Seems like it. Now I'll give you two more nuggets if you want real quick. Um, and by the way, can I uh, say yeah, one phrase done, that, I didn't, that I forgot to say with regards to the ticket sales? Yeah. I hear a certain sound effect in the background or in my own head. It's all about the money! Money! That's for you. There it is. Absolutely. So the Blackhawks, more on that money situation. The Blackhawks said they sold 500 full-season ticket packages in the first 90 minutes after the lottery results were were announced last Monday night. Now, one more thing you could say about a conspiracy or coincidence. The Blackhawks had the third-best odds to land the number one overall pick at 11.5% following Anaheim and Columbus. And they ended up with the second and third overall picks, respectively. So they had an 11% chance. There it is. All about the money. That's right. But, uh, uh, yeah, so the so they only had an 11.5% chance to get that first pick. And now they'll have 11 picks total in this upcoming draft in Nashville, June 28th. They have two first-rounders, four second-rounders, two-thirds, a fourth, a fifth, and a seventh there in Chicago. Now, that whole thing with the Blackhawks, doesn't Joel Quenville also, he was the coach at the time too, right? Uh, are you talking about the glory days? Yes. Because I brought it up with Nick last week on Game On that some people were putting out online that they wanted Joel Quenville to be the head coach, to be the next option for the Rangers after Gerard Gallant got let go. But remember, Joel Quenville technically is not cleared, has to still be cleared by the NHL before he can be a coach again. You know, Darren Drager reported that last week that as much as people were talking about Joel Quenville possibly being the next Ranger head coach, that he's still got to, at the end, she still has to clear him before he uh, returns. Okay, can I just say thank God that did not happen. I think the Rangers probably dodged a massive bullet by announcing that he's not in their plans because well, I'm, I'm... Did they did they say that? I mean, I just was telling you what people were saying. No, yeah, they, they did say that. They Okay. Larry Brooks confirmed that he was not among the candidates that That's Chris right. Curry is looking at. And thank God, because look, don't get me wrong, he was a great coach, but with what he pulled during the whole Kyle Beach incident, hmm. you can't look me in the eye straight up and tell me that he deserves another chance because that was extremely, extremely heinous. Yeah, no, that's that is for sure. And uh, we will... Um, we'll find out what happens there with the Rangers. I think your uh, co-host on Slapshots Fired made a very interesting point about maybe going down to Hartford and possibly doing that. So we will to make honestly. Can I can I piggyback on that? Yeah. Don't be surprised if that happens because let's not forget, Chris Jury was the one who who handpicked him to be the minor league coach, and he he'd been mm-hmm. with the Rangers for quite some time prior to that. Yeah. Well, and, and I would not be opposed to that whatsoever. I think. With him knowing the system, I think that could definitely help them. But I also think Andrew Brunette's a very underrated candidate, too. After all, he was the one who coached Florida a year before that. And how he didn't get another shot, that that kind of surprised me. But he did pretty well in helping the Devils this past season. One of the many great posts that Hank, a blog posts that Hank has on etbpodcast.com is about the Rangers, uh, who, they, who they could go after in the wake of the Gerard, Gerard Gallant firing. And uh, go check that out at etbpodcast.com. Well, Hank, we got to... Uh, get a little football into the course of the conversation here. The NFL schedule was released last 
uh, Thursday night. Now, we did have some ideas about a day or two before the official schedule was released. So we'll go over some of the highlights here, too. Because I'll tell you right now, I could spend two hours with you talking about this, and I'm so excited for it. But there's there's a lot of cool things to discuss here, including something that, that just broke recently while we were recording this. So obviously, the first thing you think about when it comes to the schedule release are the international games. And those are on the increase this year. We've got five international games, three, three of them in England, and two of them in Germany. So for you folks that love our Football Friday picks with the upset special graphics, so they're going to be back in German uh, twice this year. So we've got uh, we got the Falcons and Jaguars in week four. We've got the Jaguars and Bills in week five, the Ravens and Titans in week six. And then in Frankfurt, week nine, Dolphins, Chiefs, and Colts, Patriots, both of those in Frankfurt. So first things first with that, Hank, you've got the Jaguars playing back-to-back weeks in London and Tottenham. Almost a sign of the future there. We talked about the London Jaguars. Your Jacksonville Jaguars, I should say. Um, but they get back-to-back weeks in Jacksonville. I mean, in I should say in London. I mean, I think you know why that's the case, right? Yeah. No, of course. Uh, con- Once again, um, I'm hearing that sound effect in my head again. Oh, it's all about the money, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that's it. Yeah, it's always about the money. Absolutely. But uh, <laughs> and there it is. I'll tell you what, though. Of those five games, it's kind of a little bit of a bummer that the Dolphins and the Chiefs are going to be in Frankfurt. And I only say that because that matchup would have been a classic one if it was in Kansas City because you would have Tyreek Hill's return to KC after he was after he spent you know the first part of his career there and then now he's in in Miami but that's still going to be a great one. Uh, I'll tell you what, and this is kind of an unpopular opinion. I don't have a problem with the international games. You know what? I think the NFL actually does it the right does it right. Now, I do kind of find it though that the fact that the Jaguars have back to back weeks there is kind of an unfair advantage. But that's I, not I, sus. What's that? That's not sus. Not at all. No, no. But yeah, so we've got so we will have five international games this year. And then some of the other highlights that we've got coming up this year, we've got the Chiefs and the Lions opening up the season on Thursday night. Hank, I'll tell you what, the NFL's betting on the Lions this year by putting them in that first game of the season, and I like it. You know what? I mean, it's not the the best matchup for them, but I love the fact that they're going that they they love the line so much to put them in that first game of the season. But you, on the other hand, uh, you know, once upon a time, I was kind of on the Lions hype train only because you know how much I love me some Dan Campbell, but. Now I'm starting to think that maybe I drank the Dan Campbell Kool-Aid and I'm sorry, I still can't get over how horrible their draft was. But with that being said, I think that gamble is going to be, I think they might go in the red with that gamble. Like that little Jeopardy (laughs) reference I gave you right there. I like that, yes. The Lions, in my opinion, are going to get absolutely boat raced by the chiefs well we I, I, they, they they really i really thought they'd improve their team i just oh, well i'll tell you what i think they might have improved their team because in terms of also 
the fact that you had a team there in Can- in Green Bay now that doesn't have Aaron Rodgers, so they they took a step back. They're going to take some steps back, and maybe that that does elevate the lines up a little bit. Mm, maybe. I still think the Vikings are the the best team that in that division, but marginally. So. I agree. Mar- marginally yeah. so. Right for sure. For sure. I that, think that if any of the other teams had a better draft, I, I probably would put them ahead of everybody else. But nobody in that division had a good draft, and I'm. I'm not even going to make any bones about it. They were horrible. The Bears in particular, but that's that's a discussion for another day. So that's what happens. So that will happen Thursday night, September 7th, uh, Lions and Chiefs to open the season. Aaron Rodgers' Jets debut is going to happen on Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills on September the 11th now. I want to piggyback off of what our colleagues Nick Morgison and Tom Obano said on Empty the Bench last week because they were talking about they thought that the NFL missed an opportunity by not putting the Giants and the Jets there on week one. Now, as a Giant fan, I was hoping for the fact that they would actually do that because I want to get the Jets out of the way because we know that 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 matchup is going to be hyped. And the fact they put it at week eight this year – would be a very critical week for both. Will be a critical week for both teams, so there'll be a lot of extra hype. And I think for the Giants, you know, there's a lot more important things than facing the Jets. So, the, I I do get get the why because technically, Buffalo is the one New York team that plays in New York. So I do get that, and also it's a division rival. So uh, I do understand that. So I I would have liked for Giants Jets to be Week One, only just to get it out of the way. But I do understand also, you know, the division rival with Aaron Rodgers there with the Jets is, you know, a big deal. And you know what? uh, Monday Night Football got some great matchups this year. So they. Oh my gosh, fantastic. Right? I mean, also, uh, Super Bowl rematch, Eagles and Chiefs in week 11, also on Monday Night Football. Also helps now when you have Buck and Aikman there in the broadcast booth. You do get the the spicier matchups there. And And a massive upgrade in broadcasters, too, I might add. Right, and also remember this too. As you know, I'm going to channel my uh, broadcasting uh, stuff here. There are going to be a couple of weeks this year where there's going to be two Monday Night Football games this season. So, uh, you know, you'll have that. And remember that a story that came out from it was uh, Andrew Marshan at the Post that my college football uh, buddy Chris Fowler is going to be taking the lead on some of the Monday Night Football broadcasts. Uh, with the second crew. So that'll be cool to watch too. I like Fowler. He's great there with college football, uh, especially in the big, the huge games. And so we'll see him also on the NFL side. He's done a couple of them too when uh, they had some Saturday games too. So I'm going to like that. So that's what you have to look forward to as well. A couple of the nuggets here, Hank, to discuss with the schedule here, and I'll get your thoughts on them. First Black Friday game on Amazon Prime on uh, November 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern is going to feature the Dolphins and the Jets. So what do you think about that? Oh, man, an Amazon Prime game. I feel like that one could have been another, like, primetime matchup just because you, know you know how it is, Jets-Dolphins being a division rival. And also, imagine you have a healthy Tua. Him and Rodgers, good quarterback battle, mm. potentially. I don't know. You know how, I'm, how I feel about, like, the whole live stream online like matchups and i'm kind of an old head with regards to that and i feel like you and i are in the same in that department but wait for this hank i got i got a story that broke while we were recording here that i think you might go crazy over so so stand by for oh oh let's hear it let's hear it 
Well, we're going to get to it. I'm going to save that till the end. I want to get through some of these other ones here first because I, I think it's kind of appropriate when you, with terms of the timing. So you'll, you'll understand that. But yeah, so the Dolphins and the Jets, we've heard about the story last year when they announced that there would be a Black Friday game for the first time ever in the NFL. And it's going to happen at 3 p.m. Eastern between the Dolphins and the Jets. And remember, Black Friday is usually a big college football day. You know, that whole entire weekend for college football is huge. So, um, so the NFL will get one, and I do like the three o'clock start time. You know what? I mean, technically, it's a Friday. It's still technically a Friday. It is a Friday, so the three o'clock starts good. You know, who knows how much of a turkey hangover you're going to be in from eating the day before? If oh, in know, my case, a hangover. <laughs> yes, but uh, um, I, like, I like that start time a lot. So Dolphins and Jets there at three p.m. on Black Friday. We talked about the Eagles and the Chiefs being the Super Bowl rematch. You know, the Patriots, their home opener this year, they will honor Tom Brady and retire his number in um, his return to New England. Not really a surprise there. That's a cool story from their side of things. I would imagine they're probably putting him in the Team Hall of Fame, too. Yes, that's exactly what it's going to be. So, Because I was going to say, uh, they usually have a waiting period for retired players like most Hall of Fames do, but I feel like the Patriots are waiving that because, I mean, it's friggin' Tom Brady. Like, does he need a waiting period? That's exactly right. And then the the following year, he will be in the broadcast booth at Fox. So after your hangover from the Thanksgiving holiday with the the Dolphins and the Jets, you got three. You obviously have your regular Thanksgiving triple header this year. It'll be Packers and Lions at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. You have Commanders and Cowboys at 4.30. And then the nightcap, 49ers and Seahawks at Lumen Field there at 8.20 p.m. Eastern. Thoughts about that? I Here's why I'm kind of iffy on the idea of having a Black Friday NFL. Like, like you said, Black Friday is usually a college football thing, right? Yes. Isn't that kind of oversaturation? Like, the only thing I'll say to that, Hank, is I think the start time that they're putting the game at is is actually makes it work. I mean, look, I'll say that it's better, but I don't know. I don't know if I like the idea of having it like back to back and then eventually three times in four days. Because as much as I love football, like, you know how I'm conditioned to feel like you know you get it like two days. Well. You get it Monday night, and then you get, like, a big Thursday night, but then most of it on, like, Sunday. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm. it's like me wanting me and ice cream, you know? I'm <laughs> a big ice cream lover, like, or, heck, even a big milkshake lover. Get me near that or the nearest ice cream place, I'll devour it. But if you get me too much of it for a certain amount of days, I'm going to get sick. So I guess- that's, that's just my random thinking. Well, so... To me, the NFL has become like a five-day work week now because you've got games on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Think about, this is how I think of it. Thir- your your weeks go Thursday to Monday. You've got Thursday night football. Mm-hmm. You've got football Friday where you, you look – you like for us, we do all of our picks. Saturday, you know, is that anticipation for Sunday. And if you want football, you've got college all day Saturday. Sunday's your big NFL Sunday. Then you've got the Monday night football. And then your off days, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're recapping and starting to make that transition. So I, I get it. I mean, the, the reason why I don't mind the Black Friday game is the three o'clock start time. I think if this was in at twelve noon or one o'clock, I don't think it would work as well. If this was at nighttime, I don't think it would work as well. I think they actually put it at, at the perfect time 
to make it work. And, you know, Dolphins and Jets will be a critical game. And because, and I don't want to really get off topic, but because, you know, people don't go to the malls as much as they used to, it's not like, you know, everybody can do their stuff online or you have a lot of these Black Friday deals done before Thanksgiving. So it's not like people are really going to be like, well, I should go shopping instead of going to a football game. They're going to go. So it does it does really work. Hmm. Hey, maybe I'll maybe I'll change my mind, but like I've just I've been I've been conditioned to usually feel like oversaturation is not the best thing. We're also talking about it 6 months before it's supposed to happen. So we'll check back with you uh as we get closer to the season. Yeah, but um that's what you got there, but I'll be curious here. So the Thanksgiving games, you know, just looking at it real quick, Packers Lions, we don't think the Packers are going to be that good this year, so I'm not sure about that. The Commanders and Cowboys, you know, again, Kind of an interesting matchup, but not anything special. The 49ers and Seahawks has a potential to be great. And that reminds – and when we looked at last year's games, well, we had, what did we have? We had Bills-Lions in the first one. We had uh, Giants-Cowboys, and then we had Patriots and Vikings. So, I mean, look, it's still Thanksgiving. It's still football. You know, we'll be watching. Yeah, I agree, but yeah, too um... – I would say that those games are the opposite of what Meatloaf would say. Two out of three are mid, shall <laughs> we say. Well, so here's also though an interesting nugget for the season. We've got a we've got a Christmas Day triple header. And if remember, Christmas falls on a Monday in 2023, and we've got a triple header this year. So we've got Raiders and Chiefs at 1 p.m. Eastern in Kansas City, so that's a 10 a.m. West Coast start for the Raiders, but they're going to Kansas City. Our foot, New York football giants are taking on the Eagles at 4.30 p.m., and the Monday nighter, the Christmas nighter, if you want to say, Ravens and 49ers at 8.15. Johnny, I got a quick question. Were the yeah. Niners, are the Niners the home team in the game against the Seahawks on Thanksgiving? No. Oh, okay, because I was just going to say, imagine if you were a Niners fan and you had a season ticket plan, and then both the Thanksgiving and the Christmas games were uh, home games. How would you plan around those? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I'm sure they'd find a way, but... Um, Although, Grant, well, look, I, already told, I already told my... Hank, I already told my family that... Now, we usually do meals together very, very early because it just runs in our nature, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I got Giants Eagles at 4:30 on Christmas Day. Yeah, I'm really hoping that I don't know what I'm doing on Christmas, but I'm hoping we get an early meal because, like, you are not going to want to. You do not want to take me away from uh, Giants Eagles because that. I. You know what I find fascinating though? Christmas usually is a an NBA holiday, and now the NFL stepped in and they're putting three games on Christmas Day. And that's crazy because if you really look at the NFL and Christmas Day on years past, the NFL has usually tried to avoid Christmas Day scheduling. Like the first time they ever did that, and sorry if I'm going to go on another little history camp for you. 1971, famous uh, game between the Chiefs and the Dolphins went to double overtime. I think because that game was like such a long one, that may have scared the NFL away from uh, going to cri- into the Christmas part. And then 
the NBA just made it their thing. So it took like maybe nearly 20 years for them to schedule it again. But I think now that like, you know, the NFL has become better at like scheduling and whatnot. Now that it's become like more popular, I don't think you're getting the backlash like say 50 years ago. I know Jaguar Gator nine made a video a while ago about Christmas day and the NFL. So I got to check that out again, just to review, but, he did bring up an interesting point how like so many people had backlash over those two playoff games happening on Thanksgiving or Christmas. Sorry, you can't have playoff oh, games. On and remember, sorry about that little slip of the tongue. Okay. <laughs> and if you remember last year with Christmas falling on a Sunday and they've done this before, they will play on Christmas Eve that Saturday instead mm-hmm. of, and, and they'll, they'll, they did put a triple header on uh, last Sun uh, last year on Christmas day, Sunday, but They'll move a lot of the games to Saturday, and Hank, you remember this too. One of the most memorable Christmas Eve, missed Christmas Eve games for the Giants was against the Jets. I think that was in 2011 with uh, Victor with Eli Manning, 99 yards to Victor Cruz, and he's still running. By the way, I I have a signed picture of Victor Cruz making that catch somewhere in my room. That saved the Giants' season. I mean that that's that that catch really saved it was really the turning point of the Giants season. So um yeah, you know, it's always cool. And you know, locally, you know, here at the Empty the Bench Podcast Network, we've got Giant fans and you, me, and Tom. We've got Jet fans with Jen, and I guess we could still say Nick's Jet fan. Um until well, I, I here's my prediction. He's going to go back to being a Jet fan by the start of the season. We're gonna we're gonna talk some sense into him, and he'll be back to being a Jet fan. So we'll say that he's, we say that. Are you sure you want to do that? Because you're going to convince him to be a masochist by doing so. <laughs> and I say, and I say this as Nick is in Toronto this week, and we hope he's having a nice vacation. But um, I'm just sorry, for that I'm sake, funny. no. But just, just when I just from a local perspective, and you and I, you were talking about this before we started the show today. Giants playing seven times on the road in the first 10 weeks of a season. They are the first team that's doing that since the NFL reinstated bye weeks in 1990. So the NFL's never forced a team to play on the road in seven of the first 10 weeks or seven of the first 10 games until this year. Wait. Not e- wait, hold on. Time out. Yes. So not even in the years where it was actually common for MLB and NFL teams to share a stadium. So not even in 73, when the jets had to have that big road stretch where they had to play road games because the Mets were on their way to a world series appearance, not even in uh, the seventies when the Eagles and the Phillies were pretty much good at the same time. And not even when the Steelers and the, and the pirates were good at the same time at three rivers. That's crazy. First or even in the 70s when the Big Red Machine was really good. I can't imagine how many football games would have would have possibly had to be moved because of those dynasties in the 70s. Because technically the, the Jet game, they are considered the road team, right? Uh, no, the Giants are considered home. Oh, so really, I mean, so really seven of the first ten, and one of those is even a neutral, is pretty much a neutral game too. But if there's anything we've learned though, Hank – and you probably would agree with me on this. Giants seem to always fare better on the road anyway. Not to knock anything about home, but I always seen – you remember, you know, the two Super Bowl runs, that was all road. Road Warriors, I remember. Road Warriors. But, I mean, look, it's, it's 
This is exciting. You know, other than that, really, I mean, the NFL is pretty quiet. I mean, we knew we know we have the Josh Harris story with the Commanders, which we're gonna, which we'll save until uh, when I'm on with with Tom on empty the bench this week. But I mean, we've got that. I'll give you a couple more games that stuck out to me real quick. You've got week eight. You've got Texans and Panthers in Charlotte. That's a possibility about having C.J. Stroud for Houston taking on Bryce Young in Carolina. So that that's going to be cool. We've got the Bengals. Bengals and Jaguars in week four, that is going to be, or say week 13, that is going to be a Monday nighter. So, uh, you know, you've got Joe Burrow against Trevor Lawrence, possibly. That'll, that'll be pretty cool. Just trying to think of a couple of other ones here that come off my mind. Um, oh, we talked about Bill uh, Bengals and Chiefs on New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. AFC Championship possibly another another AFC championship kind of matchup. Uh, so th- that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, the one other thing you'd say from a local perspective is, you know, the Jets first six weeks, absolutely brutal for Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. And I think if they could survive that, that that's really going to be the, the, the critical thing with them, you know, and, you know, we'll talk about this a lot more with the Jets and stuff as we get closer to the, to the start of the season. But uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, this is, kind of unusual for him because he's had very favorable matchups there in the NFC, not knocking him or anything, but now he's going to go to a different conference in a different league. You know, he's going to be in for a tall order there in uh first few weeks of the year. Yeah, no, it, I think it'll definitely be interesting for the Jetsons. As I've said, it's going to be a make or break year for the Jets. And I also want to see, I'm also, you know, going to be very intrigued and interested to see, how the Giants do because we know that their schedule is going to be much tougher than a year ago. And I think some may argue that the strength of their schedule was probably a reason that they made, made it to the playoffs. And look, as much as I was proud of what they did a year ago, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with that notion based on the roster that was on paper. However, you know, and you, you, we'll talk a little bit more about the Giants as like we get closer and closer to training camp and whatnot. I definitely yeah. think the Giants can have a year where they build off of what happened last year. I think the roster definitely improved. I thought that uh, Shane did a good job with the free agents. And, you know, look, besides another a certain team in a certain city that I cannot stand being in the same division, yeah. I would say yeah. that Joe Shane probably – had one of the better better drafts this year. And again, I'm not being biased. And you know that I'm not biased because I've been on record saying Philadelphia absolutely killed it. I mean, how else how do you how do you have that good of a team and still find a way to pick up arguably the best player available in the draft? Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, you know, this Giants team right now looks to be better and they're they're coached great. So uh be exciting times. I'm gonna end the NFL schedule discussion here with one other nugget that broke while we were recording here. And I'm hoping that I don't go off another rant, 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 uh, Hank rant alert when I say this, but Adam Schefter reported this on Monday. So the NFL announced that Peacock will be the home for the first ever exclusive live streamed NFL playoff game, presenting an NFL wildcard playoff in prime time on Saturday, January 13th. Can I go up a little closer to the camera just as I do this? We should just give you the full screen. I'm sorry. What? 
why? Like, are you kidding me? Playoffs are arguably one of the best times of the year. Do we really need to have a live stream for a playoff game? Oh my gosh. That that's an all-timer right there, folks. Oh Hank, it's the God. sign of the times, unfortunately. I, like, again, I don't mean to sound like an old man yelling at clouds. I mean, after all, I'm still, like, about a half a decade younger than you. No, no offense, but still. it. Hey, look, I'm still trying to get used to the whole streaming thing. You know, as Yankee Imagine fans, we know that... What if you're a fan of a team that's, like, going into the playoffs for the first time, then you find out, oh, I've been a fan of them for so long, but I don't know how to stream that game. Go to go to a bar and pray that they have the game on. That's really it. I'm sure Roger the fun- knows best. What? Roger knows best. Yep, Roger knows best. And uh, I guess for the the tenth time on this episode, what is it all about? Continue. Money. There it is. That's that's exactly it. Yes, keep that going. Absolutely. But yeah, so that was something that broke. So that's a great way to cap up the. The schedule release. Well, Hank, we talked about, and we'll wrap up the show on this. We talked about international uh, games in the NFL. Well, baseball is going to try and go down that same road too. So a couple of weeks ago, it was reported that that baseball is working to open the 2024 regular season in, in Seoul, South Korea. It is also committed to be playing games in Paris in 2025. So according to Tom Verducci at SI.com, the Yankees and the Red Sox are among the teams that have expressed a strong desire to play in Paris, which will host the first MLB games in continental Europe, according to a source familiar with the plan. They may be competed for one of the two coveted spots, but it is unlikely that MLB will schedule a Yankees-Red Sox series, according to the source, if only because those teams played the first London Series games in 2019. Um, Hank, here's the problem with baseball doing this. Well, I mean, there's several problems, and we could bring it back to, you know, somebody that we know by the name of good old Rob Manfred. Yes, Rob, we talked about Goodell. You are not off the hook again this week because here's the thing. Football can get by with this because it's popular now, not only in the States, but they could do it overseas. Look at last year when the game was in Frankfurt, and this is, this is one of the reasons why the NFL is playing two games next season in Frankfurt. Look at those fans and look how excited they were when that happened. Did you get that same level of excitement when you had Yankees, Red Sox in London? No. I mean, unless you were a diehard fan of either the Yankees or the Red Sox, then... uh, Yeah, I would say it was kind of lukewarm at best, so to speak. I mean, the the games were exciting, though, but just the feel of it. But... The problem you all here's some of the problems though. MLB considered historic Wembley Stadium as the venue as a venue, but they found that the maximum distance for the right field wall to be 280 feet from home plate, and MLB rules require, require parks constructed since 1958 to have a minimum distance of 325 feet. And yet, I keep hearing a lot of crap about the right field wall at Yankee Stadium being too easy. Oh. Listen, you know, Hank, uh, Hank, here's a perfect example. You know, it's so ironic you say that. You were at Fenway Park last weekend. Fenway Park down that right field line, not only is is the dist- is it a short distance, but that wall, it's not even a wall. No, it's like I mean, a on. fence. 
I mean, you can hit a you can hit a line drive that, uh, that bounces and goes into the stands for a ground rule double down there. Easily. Why I do mean, you think? Why do you think Oriole Park at Camden Yards had to move back left center field? Yeah, they wanted to make it harder for home runs, and they wanted to make it sort of uh, judge proof, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. No. Hey, listen. You know, maybe the Yankees should have brought in left center field. They would have won the game on Sunday. But anyway, uh, but. I mean, that's that's part of it, too. And, of course, you know, as part of the collective bargaining agreement signed last year, MLB and the Players Association agreed to play regular season games at multiple international sites each year of the five-year contract through 2026. So South Korea and France would join Mexico, Japan, Australia, and the United Kingdom as countries to have hosted regular season game MLB games outside of the U.S., Canada, and Puerto Rico. By the way, we already had a Mexico series this year in baseball. Did, did anybody remember who it was? I want to say it was the Dodgers and uh, the Padres. I think it was. I think it was Giants. I think it was Padres and Giants. Okay, what? did you know? But did you? Did it was you Padres know that and Giants. But did you know that happened in late April? But I didn't tell you just now. I, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of forgot about it, and I think part of it could have been Thank because you, Bob. that's another one on you. I. Uh, yeah, you just um, you finished a really tasty sandwich there that I was going to say, and that was that um, that Rob Manfred, you know, may not have marketed that game as well, so to speak. Well, I mean, look, I forgot. Can I tell you something? Like, I forgot that um, there was an opening day game in Japan, like I want to say in 2019 or something like that. Oh, so, that's what, also on you, Rob Manfred. Yep. Yeah. What does that tell you? Well, I mean, now that you've got, you know, so this whole lot, 99-day lockout that we had last year, now they they they, they agreed. You know, it's amazing. They can't agree on much, the MLB and MLBPA, but they could agree to play regular season games overseas. Okay, that's just wonderful. And again, this sport, I'll tell you right now, I mean, this is the least amount of baseball that I've watched in such a long time. There's so many problems with the sport. You know, players getting hurt left and right. You've got, you know, this whole pitcher violation, batter violation. Uh, I mean, it, it it's only going to get worse. I mean, I don't have much of a voice left. You can tell I've been fighting through it the entire show. I'm going to save it because I got to come back later in the week. And Rob, I'm I'm done with you. I really am. But that's gonna. What's that, Hank? I was just about to say, damn, Johnny, I've never seen you that pissed at Rob Manfred, but I guess he's really broken you. Well, I mean, tell me tell me one great thing about baseball right now. Mm, let me think. Maybe that the games are shorter, and that's a big maybe. Well, I mean, it's better, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of more things they could have done than just the eight-second, than, than just the... The batter clock. Now, the the clock, look, as like I said, that was inevitable. But, I mean, there's other things they could have done there, too. See, the things they were trying to – they they set in to try and sl- to speed up the game didn't – isn't really working. Like the three batter minimum, which was set a few years ago, that was totally unnecessary. Um, there's a bunch of things. But, you know, it's as much as it's about that, you know, it there's, there's a bunch – there's just a bunch of things about it. It's just – it's bad. It really, it really is. And, you know, also maybe me losing my voice because Mets and Yankee fans are so overreacting right now. It's the middle of May and everybody's going crazy. Guys, it's it's May. All right. I'm everybody's not. Going, Johnny. Right? 
I am not yeah. over or underreacting to the Yankees. How many times have we had to have this conversation? The Yankees pretty much, I haven't had high expectations for the Yankees since, oh, I don't know, probably when I was in college because that's another team that's a definition of insanity. But we can, yeah. you can let me have that rant on another day. Yes, absolutely. We will, folks. Uh, yeah, because we're going to do a baseball checkpoint in a couple of weeks' time. But that's, gonna, I think, going to put a wrap on episode 54 of Game On. So if you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. And if you, and as always, have your notifications set at our youtube.com slash ETB network. You know, we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Game On ECB or on Instagram at Game On underscore ETB. Our personal handles scrolling right there on the bottom. Hank, this was such a big episode and there was so much else going on that we didn't get to. But um, also, of course, check out our website, etbpodcast.com. I'll give you a quick programming note that I will be joining Tom Albano over there on Empty the Bench this upcoming Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And we've got a lot to get into with that. You know, we've got Josh Harris going to um, – by officially buying the Washington Commanders. We'll get into that. Possibly Tom Brady becoming a part owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Of course, one of the biggest stories in the in basketball that also broke over the weekend, John Morant is in trouble again. So we, we have so much to get to. We'll probably get into some NBA and NHL discussion and anything else that breaks between now and then because, you know, things always break between now and then. Oh, yeah. Ugh, John Morant being in trouble. What else is new? What a shocker. Well, hey, you know what? But before we get out of here, why don't we also bash Adam Silver? Because you know what, Adam, this is another chance for you to get it right. All right? Don't slip up again this time, okay? And that's really as much as I can talk because that's what it's shaping up to be. It's an Adam Silver slip up. It was the first time pretty much only giving him. Goodell is okay. Goodell's fine. And Bettman's actually doing a good job. So, you know, we can't really – we can't – we don't have anything for for Bettman just yet. Think about it. He's the only commissioner that's gotten a pass on this show. <laughs> well, I may or may not have accused him of rigging a draft lottery, but that's a story for another day. All right. So I'll tell you what. Between now and next week, we'll think of some alliteration. Blasting Bettman. Uh, no, I don't I don't know. We'll have to think of some. No, the sad thing is Bettman's actually been better lately, but for most of his tenures, he's, he's had – He's had his series of fuck-ups. Oh, of course. No, there's no question about it. But since we've done this show uh, last March, I mean, he's been the best commissioner. It's crazy to say that. But that's, uh, that's what we'll leave. So we'll leave you on that note, folks. So for Hank and Dick there, I'm Johnny Montabano. Everybody have a great week. I'll see you on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern with Tom Albano for Empty the Bench. And Hank and I will see you for episode 55 of Game On next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>